This is Telling the Truth, and today, Stuart Briscoe continues the series called Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World with how to think clearly about Christians and society. He'll begin in just a moment. In Stuart Briscoe's insightful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World, he helps you understand how God's Spirit works to transform you and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you. And through your support today, you can help others experience transformation in their lives as well. We'll say thanks for your gift by sending you a copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World. So call today to request your copy. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Stuart Briscoe with today's teaching. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Roman Christians probably in the middle of the A.D. 50s. Now, when we get into the A.D. 50s and the A.D. 60s in Rome, we're talking about emperors called Caligula and Claudius and Nero. And they are not a pretty picture at all. Nero, for instance, he became emperor because his mother decided that she would like her son Nero to be emperor rather than her husband, who was Nero's stepfather. So she had Claudius murdered. But Claudius had a son who would be the natural successor, so she had his son murdered as well. And that's how Nero becomes emperor. However, Nero, once he became emperor, decided that his mother was a bit too bossy, so he had her murdered. And round about the same time, he decided that he didn't like his wife Octavia as well as he liked a beautiful lady called Pope. And Pope was beautiful because she kept a thousand donkeys and bathed herself in their milk. That's the secret, ladies. So, so he had Octavia murdered. This was the bloody scene in which those early Christians in Rome were living. When you read the epistle to the Romans, remember that the things that Paul is saying to them, is saying to people who are living in this kind of situation. Nero decided that he wanted to build himself a magnificent palace. There was one inconvenience, however, and that was where he wanted to build it. Other people had their buildings. And so in all probability, Nero was the one who set fire to Rome so that he could burn down almost a quarter of the city in order to build his own palace there. And the legend goes, of course, that he played his fiddle while Rome burned. Probably a harp, but who's going to quibble about that? I can't play either. (laughs) However, he became extremely unpopular when it was determined that he was probably responsible for this, and so he did what politicians do when they go down in the polls. He threw money at the problem, and he rushed out into the streets and literally gave away the Roman treasury to the common people. That didn't work, and so he decided to blame the Christians for burning down Rome. And tremendous persecution was leveled on these Christians. These are the people that Paul is writing to. These are the ones who are experiencing the persecution, and it is people in circumstances like that that he is addressing how they should conduct themselves in society. What happened to these Christians? Many of the young women were daubed with tar and tied to posts and set alight to illuminate Nero's parties in the evening. 
Many of the young men were wrapped in the skins of slain animals and put in the arena to fight with savage dogs. Many of them were put in the arena barehanded to fight with lions and were torn to shreds. This was the kind of persecution that they were experiencing. You say, why do we need all this ancient history? We live in different circumstances. That's right, we do. Things have changed somewhat. But there has always been tremendous tension between the Christians and the culture and the society in which they live. Not the matter of being thrown to the lions or burned alive, but problems and tensions and difficult decisions and hurtful situations nevertheless. And the question we must ask ourselves is, thirdly, what is the posture of Christians towards society? How do we conduct ourselves in difficult circumstances? Well, this passage of Scripture gives us many short, sharp, succinct statements as to how we should respond. First of all, how we should react to difficult people in our culture, and then how we should be relating to ordinary people. And what we'll see very quickly in this list of instructions is that Christians are uniquely equipped to be in the world, not of it, but sent to it to make a difference. For instance, notice in verses 14, 17, 19, and 21, a very strong theme. Here it is, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. You notice the dominant theme here? It has to do with how we conduct ourselves when everything in us wants to retaliate against the culture of which we're a part. And the instructions are very straightforward. Let's look at them in just a little more detail. Here's the situation. Somebody is persecuting you one way or the other. The answer, of course, is that we would normally tend to react very strongly to this. The Apostle Paul says the Christian response is, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. If somebody curses you out, then the tendency is to want to curse them out. The Christian response is, remarkably, bless and do not curse. Now remember what the Hebrews meant by blessing. It meant that they were invoking the grace of God and the peace of God and the sustaining power of God and the prosperity of God on those people. So somebody persecutes you and you either say to them so they can hear it or you pray for them when they can't hear it, oh Lord, this person is persecuting me and my overwhelming desire for them is that they may know your grace in their lives. Please shower your peace upon their relationships, sustain them, Lord, and prosper them in your purposes. And I can see some of you smiling at the very thought. That is totally foreign to what we're all about. And that is what makes it possible for a Christian to be in the world, not of it, and sent to it to make a difference. Now let's go on a little bit further. For the Apostle Paul in verse 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. It is the easiest thing in the world to be dragged down into the gutter by the gutter fighters. 
And in all probability, many of you could testify to extremely difficult circumstances where you feel you're being specifically discriminated against as a Christian. You've been dragged down. There have been some real dirty pool that you've been exposed to. And perhaps some of you say, and I hate to say this, but I was dragged down to their level. And I found myself repaying evil for evil. The problem with repaying evil for evil is it simply compounds the evil and doesn't solve anything. The point is this, that Jesus is teaching something entirely different. He is teaching that when evil is done, it is not our place to get down in the gutter and to repay evil with evil that compounds the problem and solves nothing. There has to be a different approach. Lee Iacocca, in his bestseller autobiography, said, I taught my children, don't get mad, get even. And that is not good advice. And it is certainly nothing to do with the Christian mentality in society. think clearly about Christians and society. It's not always easy. But Stuart Briscoe is showing us what our response should be on today's Telling the Truth. And he'll be back with much more in just a moment. Your support helps Telling the Truth reach across the globe to share the love of God and message of Christ with people everywhere. So call today to request your copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World when you give to help more people experience life in Christ. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Let's head back to Stuart now for more of his message, Thinking Clearly About Christians and Society, on today's Telling the Truth. Look at the end of verse 17. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, if that sounds like a tall order, it is. How in the world can you do right in everybody's eyes when everybody's eyes see right differently? I don't think this is a helpful translation at all. The word here is that which is honorable, that which is beautiful, that which is noble. And I would suggest to you that out there in secular society, even when it gets really bad, there is a level at which honest, genuine, sensitive people will say that that is an honorable, good, and beautiful thing to do. And the Christian should always be aiming at that level. You will sometimes find Christians who are behaving in such a manner in society that people in society who are not Christians are offended by Christian behavior. Not because they're behaving righteously, but because they're behaving unwisely. The way that Christians behave is that they do it in such a way that what they're doing is seen to be honorable. Verse 18 further instruction as to how we conduct ourselves in the society. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, Paul could have said, live at peace with everyone. We'd all have curled up and died. But he was very practical and very realistic. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. 
The Christians should always be seen as those who are working in society towards bringing a sense of righteousness and order and peace. We should not be creating trouble. We should be the people who are bringing in the areas of conflict that which is honoring to God by bringing a sense of order. But that's tough. However, as much as it depends on us, in other words, you are not responsible for the other person's actions. You may be responsible for their reaction to you. But what you are responsible for is your actions and your reactions. And your actions and your reactions should always be in the direction of peace. If it is possible means that sometimes it is just not possible for you to be at peace with those who are in diametric opposition to that which is good and right and true. Somewhere along the line, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Now, the tone of Paul's preaching here is very, very powerful. And remember the context in which he was giving it. If we think we have difficult circumstances, we're probably right. But I submit to you, they're probably not as difficult as the people to whom these words were originally addressed. Embrace generosity. Notice this remarkable thing that he says that we are not only not to get into taking revenge, which is a natural thing, We are to recognize that revenge or judgment is God's business. Think about it. If somebody does something bad to you, that person is answerable to God for the bad thing they did to you. They will come under God's judgment. Isn't that enough? Do you have to add to it? In fact, if you really believe that the person who did the bad thing to you is coming under God's judgment for it, would it not be more appropriate to pray for them and be concerned about them? than to add to their problems by taking revenge yourself. That's what he's saying. He then says, do something generous for those people, if you can think of anything generous. If they're hungry, feed them, even though they gave you a hard time. If they're thirsty, give them to drink, even though they persecuted you. And then he comes out with this remarkable statement, for by so doing, you will heap coals of fire on their heads. And you say, I'd love to do that. But what does it mean? How can you heap coals of fire on somebody's head by feeding them if they're hungry and giving them a drink if they're thirsty? One of the best ways of looking at this that I've come across is that there was an old Egyptian experience that was obligatory in the days in which the book of Proverbs was written. And this is a quote from the book of Proverbs. In those days, if in Egyptian culture you did something wrong, it was exposed and you're deeply repentant, you're required to get a dish and fill it with hot coals and put it on your head or walk around in public with burning coals in a dish on your head as an example and a demonstration that you're deeply repentant for what you had done. What he's saying here is this, that instead of going in for revenge, instead of compounding the evil, instead of being a peacemaker until you get slugged, Instead of doing all the things that so naturally we want to do, we, in the power of the Spirit of God, on the basis of the grace of God, behave in a different manner, we will begin to discover a very high probability that through our generosity and our kindness and our goodness, which is evidence of the Holy Spirit, people would be broken and would come to repentance. It is highly unlikely that people are going to repent when we address them with antagonism, 
when we deal with them on their basis, there is much more likelihood that people will come to repentance when they begin to understand there's something different about us and we're evidencing the grace of God. So Paul gives instructions about dealing with difficult people. He also gives some instructions about relating to ordinary people. Rejoice with those who rejoice, he says. Mourn with those who mourn. Well, that's straightforward enough. But what happens if you're in a situation where the guy is rejoicing because he got the job you wanted? How do you rejoice with him? Well, that takes a different caliber of person, doesn't it? Being genuinely glad for him instead of just being predominantly sad for you. In the recent Tony Awards, one of the actors nominated for Best Actor was asked, what will you be thinking if they announce that somebody else gets Best Actor instead of you? And his answer was very insightful. He said, I'll be thinking to myself, I hope my smile doesn't look too fake. You know the feeling? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Means be genuinely honestly concerned for the well-being of the other person. And that takes the grace of God. Not only that, keep yourself in perspective and be prepared to identify with the humble. Sometimes we are into upward mobility, and the more upward our mobility, the less time we have for those who probably need us most. A man had an old Model T Ford, and the wretched thing wouldn't start, and he was stuck on the side of the road. And he was resorting to the only thing he knew how to do. He was kicking its tires. When another car came along and stopped, and a tall, lanky fellow got out and said, what's the problem? And he said, it won't go. And so he looked inside it, tinkered for a few minutes, got it going, without a word, got back in his car, was about to drive off. And the man said, well, thank you, sir, very much for being so helpful. You never told me your name. He said, I'm Henry Ford. Bye. And when Henry Ford will stop on the side of the road and get any old Model T Ford going, then there's somebody who is concerned about the humble person. And that's the person. That's the person that God is looking for. That is the attitude that he's looking for in society. And I submit to you that one of the things that we need to be thinking about in this tense, tough, cruel, hard, violent society... What we need to be thinking about is, how do we as Christians behave ourselves in the midst of it? That's Stuart Briscoe on today's Telling the Truth, talking about thinking clearly about Christians and society. And now, here's Stuart to answer a few questions about today's message. Stuart, what's the key to Christians living beautiful, noble, and honorable lives? How do we get there? I would say slowly. (laughs) In actual fact, um, we are in a process. We are in a process of grace being operative in our lives. Um, as uh, As we become more and more acquainted with with Christ, uh, as, as we become more and more uh, enthralled by who he is and what he says and what he offers and what he calls us to. And as we respond increasingly to these things, we're going to find small incremental changes in our behavior, in our aspirations, in our outlook. So the short answer is how do we get there to this beautiful life is very, very slowly indeed. And 
there's another thing that we should bear in mind, and that is, in its perfection, this beautiful life will not be ours until we find ourselves in the new heaven and the new earth, having seen Christ and being transformed into his image. This is our hope. This is where we're going. This is what keeps us on the move. Stuart, why are generosity and kindness a better approach to our enemies than, say, revenge? A generation ago, there was a very famous a businessman called Lee Iacocca, and uh, he uh, wrote wrote a, a book that caused quite a stir. One of the things that he wrote in his book was, and I, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but from memory, uh, he, he said, I tell my children, not don't get mad, just get even. Well, getting even is another word for uh, getting revenge on, on people. Uh, God flatly f- forbids that. He says, vengeance is mine, or revenge is mine. In other words, God will see to it that wrong actions are dealt with rightly by him. And when we say dealt with rightly, that is the ultimate justice will be done. And so we have no business going there at all. But the reality is that if we are eaten up with anger and resentment and focused on revenge, this is very, very destructive to ourselves. And using the the power of the Spirit of God to be generous and kind in the face of provocation (laughs) is a hugely tall order. But it is what God calls us to. And... It glorifies him, and it will help you in your daily life too. How are you to process the unnerving events happening all around you in today's world? Does the Bible offer you any hope, help, or guidance? The answer, of course, is yes. Discover how God's Spirit works in you to transform you and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you with Stuart Briscoe's powerful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World. Drawing from Romans 12, Stuart discusses how you can respond with wisdom and courage in today's most distressing circumstances. You'll discover how the Spirit of God is ever faithful, giving you the grace to think clearly in a messed-up world. We'll send you this series as thanks for your gift of support to help more people experience life through the resources and teachings of telling the truth. Generous friends like you keep broadcasts like today's going, often reaching places where the gospel hasn't yet made inroads. So if you've never given before, please consider a gift today to help keep God's word going out around the world. And remember to request your copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World when you call and give. 1-800-889-5388. 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org. Next time on Telling the Truth, more about how to live life in Christ in all of its fullness. We hope you'll be listening then.